0: welcome to the everyone's a critic movie review podcast i'm your co-host bob zero with me as always the professional film critic sean patrick visit us at iHateCritics.net, critics.net everyone's a critic podcast.com i hate critics.com facebook twitter instagram our handles critics pod we're also on youtube uh i don't know that link but go to our sites and you'll find it uh and subscribe to us on all those platforms or at least on youtube Uh have hey, you seen the
1: numbers again? You been watching the numbers? No. Funny it's funny to the watch sex one Still, it's still going out. silent sex, still. Perverts.
0: <laughs> Perverts get your money though. <clears> this <throat> is the guys who are have a T shirt possibly coming out with Cameron Diaz and underwear and or Batman versus Jesus.
1: hey we're we're equal opportunity we had Willem Dafoe's penis in there as well although
0: I will say after cousin Jeff kind of sketched it briefly I was like I want that shirt too (laughs) so he may have some money coming his way for three different shirts cause that looked pretty cool (laughs) even though it says penis on it (laughs) Uh, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Alexa, Stitcher, all your podcasters, subscribe, rate and review the show, read your reviews on the air, and then Patreon. I hate slash Patreon. The best way to help support the podcast. Uh, currently, I mean, it doesn't even really. Co- we're not even covering our dated our monthly bills. So, if anybody's interested in helping the podcast out, that's a great way to help us out because it gets us to more movies, and hopefully, you'll help us put on events and whatnot. Uh, and then there is that podcast merch. I do think we'll be having some cool shirts coming out in the next year, or not by next year, but in the next year, but by next year, is what I mean, so I'll look for those, Uh, I'm actually really excited about what Jeff's going to come up with, and our show, uh, it's been such a crazy week with the holiday, and because I'm accountant, end of month, and payroll, and all sorts of fun shit, that I'm just now getting the... ready to go so I didn't we didn't watch any trailers there's no news that I'm aware of if there is news
1: (laughs) only that uh, Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio are working together again according to uh, according to Scorsese's cinematographer they're going to uh, roll with a new project uh, next next year Uh, I don't have the title in front of me but uh, that's apparently going to happen
0: yeah I was reading someone did a list of Scorsese's best movies or the best 25 or whatever and I mean I didn't agree with it completely, but I just kinda realize I'm not as big a fan of the Leo movies as I am the De Niro ones. <laughs> I didn't love Gangs of New York, Aviator's kinda boring. Uh Departed I like, but that's kinda scorsese on sleep or uh you just go into the motions almost. But which is better than most other directors. <laughs> so I could be wrong, if Michael Mann makes right. it part it's the best movie ever made. But <clears throat> or a lot of other directors, but you know what I'm saying.
1: The best movie they ever made, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, but Scorsese's best movies are phenomenal, and I can't wait to get to. wanna to just start there.
1: Why not? I mean, it's. I mean, it, people say that if this had opened in theaters, it could have opened not number one, obviously, because we know what number one would be. But right, uh, it could have opened pretty big in theaters. It's a
0: long movie.
1: It is. It is. But with the, I mean, I'm just basing it off the number of people who said, "Oh my gosh, I wanted to see that in theaters."
0: I, I'm. I saw it twice.
1: <laughs> wow. How did you find the time?
0: I mean, I was doing other... I was at work. Okay. At one of them. <laughs> uh, and then I was in bed another time. And I actually tried to watch it three times. So, I mean, I did don't you know. you like it that much? No, it's just three and a half hours long. I wanted to make sure <laughs> I didn't miss anything. But I will say, it's not... The movie doesn't drag. Your body just gets tired. It's true, if that makes sense.
1: And in fairness to me, when I when I napped during my first uh, (laughs) seeing of this in theaters, I was under the impression that for a three hour three and a half hour movie, that we would have a uh, intermission. Not to mention
0: they made you wait for a well jet lag, and you had an hour (laughs) wait. right yeah start which you're not complaining about but no that's a long time to sit in a seat
1: it is it is and uh, you know an intermission would have been nice some coffee would have been nice <laughs> or some the ability to get something to drink would have been nice and we didn't have any of that I, so i had to watch it again
0: i will say i thought it was phenomenal i mean i think it's top 10 scorsese uh which usually <laughs> top 10 any directors uh well, yeah, it's not that impressive, but top 10 Scorsese I think is and uh I mean, I'll put it ahead of Casino. It's not good fellows, but it's I thought the performances were really really good. I thought it had that you know, you have those Scorsese movies that are less but then when the when he hits there's this tone and there's this feeling about him where you're watching something special and this movie had that, you know. When Tarantino makes a movie, you know it's just I mean, he's 100% all the time, but to me, this is uh, on the better end of the Scorsese, and I I think it's on the masterpiece end. It's just really long.
1: I am, uh, of course, we're talking about the Irishman, and uh, the story goes that uh, De Niro plays a guy who is named Frank, who uh, is a, a painter, as they call him. He's a guy who paints the walls with your brains. Uh, He works for a number of different uh, mobsters, most specifically Joe Pesci as uh, his close friend and associate and uh, his boss. And uh, on his behalf, he's going to end up being perhaps the guy who killed uh, the most famous labor union leader of all time, uh, Jimmy Hoffa, played by Al Pacino. And yeah, this is probably the best theory anybody's ever put forward about who did this, which is pretty impressive. Uh, we have no idea, but yeah, the the way that they talk about how this takes place is really smart. It it's what makes sense. I think I think uh, not to spoil anything, but the fact is that somebody ha- they had to have cremated him. Oh, yeah. They had to have. There's no other possible way. His bones aren't anywhere to be found. He was burned. They they burned him to a cinder.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Uh, and it, this is the first movie to actually just acknowledge the fact that you're not going to find this guy. Uh, Pacino's performance. This is the best he's been in a very long time. Like he seems focused and determined, and as much as he can be, you know, over the top and broad, uh, he he really does kind of fit the mold of what we what we've kind of perceived for years about who Hoffa was. He had yeah. to be big and broad and charismatic and tough and scary. And Pacino captures all those aspects of his personality.
0: While not going full Pacino. Yeah. I mean, he goes like 50% Pacino. But it's, you know, but it makes sense. He's restrained. And I don't know. I mean, I don't want to get too off track. But did you see the Esquire interview with him? And I think it was Esquire. Him and De Niro did. Uh, Basically, Pacino admitted to, he goes, he'll get a bad script and he'll want to make it better. He wants to see if he can make (laughs) it a good movie. And... He's, you know, it's just Righteous Kill is one of them that they both kind of acknowledge that on. Uh, but that was kind of, I don't know if it was his excuse for a lot of his performances, but...
1: All right, what is he, how does he say that about Jack and Jill?
0: I'm sure that was what he was trying to do. I don't know. I, either that or he didn't think it was bad. <laughs> the other. Uh, but yeah, I mean... The weird thing, though, is it's not about that. You know, it's about people getting old and regret and uh, dealing with your past, and because uh, it goes on for like another forty minutes after they kill him, <laughs> which uh, you know I think is good, and it it's not boring, and it's I I don't know. I just I love the acting. I I think De Niro is as good as he's been in forever, but P- Pesci, it's like he really is taking that much time off because. I think you said when you first saw it, he really does, he stands out as, you know, he really steals a lot of the movie when he's in it. Just very restrained. You know, he doesn't, you know, what you know from his other Scorsese movies, he's very over the top and kind of a muscle. But here he's just very, just very restrained. I guess that's the only word I can really think of. But restrained he's phenomenal. and
1: uh, easy to respect. You mm-hmm. know, he, he commands the screen. He commands your attention. Oftentimes he's been looked at as sort of De Niro's sidekick, the pipsqueak who runs alongside of him, and here De Niro's got to follow him.
0: Uh, and, De Niro's the pipsqueak.
1: <laughs> you, you buy it. You buy into it. Like, yeah, Frank respects this guy, and he does what this guy says, and you buy into the dynamic very easily.
0: But then when you see him at the end, you know it just—it's powerful. Just them as they're getting old. Uh, just how this powerful guy and he's just this old man about ready to die. You know, it's it's I don't know how he Scorsese captured that, but it was it really makes this movie something you don't realize it is. It's not a mob movie, while you know, a lot of there's a lot of that in it, but it, it's really about getting old and it could have been with anything. They just happen to be about the mob
1: and the wonderful Anna Paquin who is the uh, source of controversy at the moment. I don't know if you've heard about this. People are upset how few lines she has in the movie, which is silly because the <sighs> point of it makes
0: it so much better. <laughs>
1: that's the whole point of the movie is that she's not there to she's not there to to say these things because he doesn't they don't talk. They're not Uh, She doesn't want to talk to him. She doesn't want to be around him. She knows who he is. She knows what he does. And and it's her judgment. It's her eye. It's her look that devastates him for more than any bullet ever could. And that's really the the whole point of the movie is that she doesn't say anything.
0: God, people get hung up on the stupidest shit. (laughs) I mean, it matters that she's a name you know. Right. Because then you recognize her. Okay, she's important, and you know you're just you're kind of you're focused in on her, but she's not saying anything. in it you can just feel the tension and the hatred and the it's. Oh my God! Why would you complain about that?
1: <laughs> kind of reminded me of uh...
0: Margot Robbie when they were bitching about. <laughs> her and I have in lines and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
1: I like, uh, I like to think of it as sort of, she's sort of like Jeremy Renner's character in Arrival in that he's not, he's only a functional of her story. And, and what he brings to that, he's kind of distracting you away for a moment for her story so they can lay in that punch right underneath the ribs. And that's what Anna Paquin is throughout this movie, especially right near the end. She is that punch right underneath the ribs that's going to mm-hmm. lay him out for good.
0: Yeah, it's... I don't know. I, I part of me was wondering if it was going to be like the Silence, which I thought the Silence was really good. I just don't know that I'll ever go back. Although having read that top twenty five, it was kind of like, kind of want to see that again because <laughs> 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 I liked it. I mean, when it came yeah. out, it's just it's it's a it's a lot of effort. But I don't know. I just the cgi didn't bother me i clearly notice it right but it doesn't bother me
1: i i could i could argue there are a couple scenes that you could cut that that would make this movie a little bit tighter uh, and that's just a, a nitpick but I, I know some people like the length they like how you know the meditative aspect of it the how it underlines his loneliness being you know those long scenes of him being by himself but i truly do see a couple of scenes there that are almost seemingly there just for the for the CGI, just to show that off a little bit. And so I get it. I, I I get why they're there at the same time. It feels like it drags at times.
0: Yeah, I mean I guess I didn't, granted I was I mean, I watched it once for real and I have done other things the other time, but I just, I felt like it had me the whole time. I never really felt like, my body definitely got tired uh, about three quarters of the way through, but when you get through that Jimmy Hoffa stuff, though, I mean, that does get, you kind of, it pulls you back in, and then the ending, I mean, it's like 30, 45 minutes of him being old, I think, after they kill Hoffa, if I'm not mistaken. I you know, it's so long, right. it's hard to. <laughs> and I suppose you probably could have cut some of that down, but there's just, every now and then there's these scenes that just kind of save the whole thing, and, you know, not save it, but just bring it back again when they're in prison and they're, sitting there and Joe Pesci's in a wheelchair it's like oh my god he's how pathetic you know yeah. this powerful man I couldn't recommend this movie more I mean I'm, I don't know how it's gonna do for Netflix cause I don't know
1: I don't think any of us know what the Netflix business model truly right. is
0: and on top of that it seems like audiences aren't liking it as much as critics are from what I've read yeah. I don't know if that's true or not uh, obviously you're gonna have your diehard movie fans but I don't know.
1: A lot of people want to see The Sopranos and they're not going to get The Sopranos and be kind of like, I don't like this movie.
0: Yeah, it's not it's definitely not glorifying anything, but the way, I don't know. I think why the mob movies seem so cool is cuz of just the way they carry themselves, you know, the way especially someone like Pesci. It's just so calm, collect, go do this now. You know, it's not over the top, and there. I don't know. People probably are they get off on that confidence, and that I don't know.
1: Well, I, I, I've always liked you know Coppola's idea that, about how you know the about the Godfather and how it reflected the building of America as the building of, of this family, and you know, the the very factions are you know are politics you know the political Mm -hmm. sides rising up against each other and it just happens to be it uses the the milieu of violence instead of the milieu of screaming at each other in washington dc i've always appreciated that and i think the the gangster movie captures aspects of the building of america and yeah the the the, uh the proverbial how the sausage is made
0: right yeah i mean yeah I don't know what I like, better, Goodfellas or Godfather? I think it's Godfather, but Goodfellas is right there, too. Uh,
1: this isn't Goodfellas. No.
0: No. This is... I mean, it's in the ballpark, but it's a big ballpark.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, it's barely in the ballpark. Yeah. Because it's not...
1: It's not Raging Bull or Taxi Driver, which are just kind of way up here.
0: But I put it ahead of Casino. I yeah. put it ahead. Of, I put ahead of a lot of movies. I mean, I, it's more artistic than The Departed. As much as I like The Departed, and every,
1: I, the, every the further we get away from The Departed, the more mainstream it seems. It's almost like he's pop hit. <laughs> it's like,
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's like his pop hit without but still being rushed, (laughs) It's like Tom Sawyer. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's still, you know, it's not heat. You know, it's, uh, I don't know. But no, I mean, if you have four hours to spare, (laughs) really sit down on Netflix and watch The Irishman. It's, It's Scorsese at what he does best, and I don't know. You know, we've talked a lot about him this year, and and we've been talking a lot about it was lesser movies. And by lesser movies, I mean just like. King of me- the Comedy and Breaking Out the Dead. And <laughs> and not bad movies not by bad, any means. No. Just not Goodfellas. Yeah. You know? uh, movies that don't have that Scorsese stamp, or that style where you just. Some, and some of them like. Uh, we didn't talk about it. But like Color of Money is more of a director for hire. Or, you know, so He is not. Scorsese, which right. is his speed streets
1: thing. is really the raw materials of what would co- become him.
0: Right. So and but this is him full blown and especially it's him now. And he's been he's likes to make these long movies all of a sudden. Like really long movies. <laughs> <laughs> They've always been long, but is silence longer?
1: No, I think silence was only three hours. I think <laughs> three hours and three minutes.
0: Oh really? Yeah. It felt like four.
1: <laughs> it's hard. It's a hard movie. Couldn't do it it's like ten hours. So I mean, <laughs> is that any good? Uh, I don't. Re- I don't want to even think about it. It's probably brilliant, but uh, I had no patience for it.
0: Yeah, in hindsight, Casino should have been our.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a long
0: movie too. That's about two and a half. It <laughs> would have been a long week. <laughs> Anything else in the Irishman?
1: Uh, where does it rank for you? Is it a, is it a top ten for the year?
0: It might be. It's hard to say. I mean, there's a lot of movies I haven't seen yet. that yeah. I know you probably have, uh, but I would imagine I think it is.
1: It's probably going to be outside of my top ten because I've seen so much. <laughs> right. So, I
0: mean, I, I'm saying as of right now, I think it probably is. It's
1: probably an honorable mention for me.
0: It's probably outside of the top five, uh, but I bet it's hanging around in the five six range. That it's probably right behind Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I guess. Uh, for my five, uh, yeah. I'm curious how that's going to change in the yeah, coming weeks. It's
1: going to be very interesting. I got, I got a feeling there might be a midsummer left. There might be another really? midsummer level movie
0: left nice. this year. That's good. That's what I want to hear. I mean. I still have Hustlers in my top five, so that's. I think that's a great movie anyway, but I'm not making fun of it by any means, but I have that ahead of those two for sure.
1: You're not alone on that. There's a number of critics who have Hustlers is pretty high on their list.
0: It's a hell of a movie. I mean, it's the big short type movie with strippers in it.
1: <laughs> what I would love to <clears throat> see is that movie be in the best picture conversation because. I don't know the movies that I love are going to be in there, so I, we just have to accept Midsummer's never going to be a Best no. Picture nominee. You have to kind of narrow it down in the direction of what is both commercial and, <laughs> you know, Irishman
0: is going to be nominated. Maybe Scorsese.
1: It is Scorsese, but it's also Netflix, and there's a lot of anti-Netflix bias. A lot of
0: it. Yeah, but the Academy, the actors aren't, uh, and they're the biggest voters.
1: Maybe, maybe. I think if you're looking for potential best picture surprises, The Hustler, Peanut Butter Falcon, and The Farewell could be uh, surprising choices that uh, make their way into that race.
0: I, mean, I, I imagine Once Upon a Time in Hollywood makes it in there. And Joker, there you go. Joker. Well, I think it would be 10.
1: It <laughs> <laughs> would probably be 10. The Irish will need 10 to get in there, I think.
0: Queen and Slim.
1: Queen and Slim is the directorial debut of... Uh, Melina Matsoukas who's known for being an innovative uh, music video director. It's based off of a script by Lena Waithe, who's a very popular uh, recent Emmy winner for her uh, television work. And it comes from an idea from a guy named James Fry. Do you know James Fry?
0: That name um, sounds familiar.
1: Million Little Pieces was a uh, memoir he wrote back in 2003 that was uh, very popular among critics and uh, became a bestseller and turned out to be uh, a lot of lies <laughs> it turns out he made up a lot of the story yes,
0: now i remember it now was that an oprah thing yeah, yeah yeah okay
1: and he's uh since gone on to continue to write and continue to be popular somehow i guess he just gets away with it uh which is fine you know if he's got talent and hey, jenny
0: mccarthy's still pushing the, <laughs> the autism thing
1: <laughs> she's somehow still around good god um, it Uh, Queen and Slim is his, I guess, original idea that is adapted by these two women, and it tells the story of a couple on a very uh, mundane and uh, kind of dire first date. Uh, Angela oh gosh, I can't remember her last name now uh, and Daniel Kaluuya uh, Ernest is his character's name, and they're going to they go out on a date that's not going well he starts to drive her home they're He's trying to playfully flirt with her in the car. He, she takes his phone. She's looking at his playlist. He tries to snatch his phone back. He swerves. And the swerving of the car catches the attention of a cop who decides to pull them over. And it happens to be a cop who gets rather aggressive rather quickly. And them being, of course, a black couple, this, this becomes a, 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 a situation. Eventually, uh, he, he gets Daniel Kaluuya out of the car. He's telling him to open up the trunk. She wants to know why she gets out of the car. The cop gets more aggressive, becomes more agitated. She goes to take out her cell phone. He shoots at her. So Kaluuya tackles him, knocks the gun loose, gets the gun, ends up shooting the cop. And instead of uh, his idea is to wait there for the cops to arrive and try and reason with them, she's fully convinced that if the cops show up, they're, they're just going to shoot him. That's her. That she, she convinces him of that, frightens him enough that they go on the run from Ohio all the way down to New Orleans where her uncle uh, Ernie lives. Ernie is played by Bokeem Woodbine. He's a drug dealer and criminal himself, and he could perhaps get them out of the country safely. And that's where the story is going. And you think that this movie is going to be sort of a modern-day Bonnie and Clyde story where they're going to become these kind of folk heroes. and It's going to be about uh, police violence and, the, and African-American community and uh, about using these two uh, as a symbol of what's wrong with the country. And that's not what this movie is. It doesn't really have that scope or scale to it. And it doesn't really seem to have the ambition to be that. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not sure what the ambition then is of this movie. If it doesn't have that, it ser- turns into this series of scenes where <clears throat> where these two characters bicker at each other and run further then bicker again and then go back on the road and then they're bickering again and they keep getting lucky over and over again where the script kind of steps in and makes a uh, you know, God-in-the-machine moment for them to make a getaway here and a getaway there. And it becomes rather... Uh, re- becomes rather rep- repetitive and inert, and you're just kind of like, okay, just you get to something.
0: It's a long movie.
1: Yeah, and it feels long. It feels long while you're watching it because they're really not getting anywhere. They're really the story's not moving along at a at a good pace at a good clip. You keep waiting for something more interesting to happen and it just doesn't happen Uh, until we get to the ending which the ending has a very powerful visual motif to it and and impact and these two actors are quite good at uh, drawing your attention and holding you there but I think the script really lets them down I think there's a a lack of conviction to try and make this into a bigger uh, set piece something larger about uh, society they want to keep it to these two characters and make it rather specific and in doing that it just limits what we can do with this story and it limits these characters and it's just it doesn't work for me
0: yeah i mean i didn't see it but uh it's the only thing i haven't seen this week so don't get mad at me people <laughs> but <clears throat> it was a tight trailer i thought you know it looked like a good movie and then as it got closer and closer to the release date and i not hearing everybody talk about it i'm like okay this isn't gonna be that great
1: it did well with uh, most other critics like i think it was 86% positive really but i don't I, I wonder if maybe there's some people who are just afraid to criticize this <laughs> not to, not to be like i'm more you know braver than anybody i still think this is quite a good movie it's just that there are aspects of it that i don't think it has the ambition that it that the trailer seems to ask to have which is to make this into such a bigger thing
0: the audience loves it but yeah critics have about 80% now yeah it... It seems like, like I don't know that necessarily where making it the Bonnie and Clyde, and I don't know that that's the right thing to do. I mean, I suppose it's a decision. It's definitely going to divide audiences, uh, but there's nothing wrong with doing that. That's uh, that's something to you know. It's a it's, statement. I think
1: yeah. Well, I think trying to make this a folk tale is probably a better choice than what they made, which is to make it this very specifically about these two characters who don't have much in terms of chemistry until they're kind of until they kind of have the big traumatic thing that forces them into a, a more of a romantic situation yeah, almost like almost like speed where you know it's the it's that big uh it's like the grand big emotion forces them together you know
0: this movie should not be speed based on the trailer <laughs> right? i saw love speed don't get me wrong <laughs>
1: It should have a little bit more grounding and a little bit more depth to it than that. And I just don't think it does.
0: So it doesn't really say anything, basically. Or it's trying to say too much, but it's not saying...
1: It's saying something, but it's muddled. It it really is
0: muddled. I mean, I will say I was worried about that based on the trailer of what it was trying to accomplish. Because it's not like they're good. (laughs) You know, Obviously, what happened is not entirely their fault. But the way they... You know, and running, I get that too. But yeah. in the trailer, some of the things, the decisions they are making in the trailer is just like, well, I don't know if you should take that picture right now.
1: <laughs> there's no counterpoint.
0: And right. There's no.
1: There's all, all cops are bad, and they just they're out to kill them. There's just no other way to look at it. Uh-oh. And if you're going to go that direction, then you need to make it the movie. I'm <laughs> the movie I'm talking about. The folk tale where it's us against the world, and uh, you know our, our community is all we can rely on, and. And it's almost like a civil war almost about to rise up around these two people. Make it something like that. That's a kind of a much more bold statement than than what this movie is intending it, to make.
0: Isn't it sad, though, that if they had made that statement, you're going to have...
1: Oh, man, people would lose their mind. But
0: Copland can make that statement and people don't give a shit. right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, literally every cop's bad in that movie and no one cares, but if it's about... You know, African Americans. It changes. Knives Out.
1: Knives Out uh, from director Ryan Johnson, who is maybe best known for the most recent uh, Star Wars movies, Uh, and of course, better known actually before that to movie fans of you know normal movies that aren't Star Wars as a guy who actually does this. He makes these types of movies. He makes mysteries tinged with a, a modern sort of take and uh like uh lookout or uh brick, brick. uh he does this and this looper is too right huh? looper. Looper? that's the one uh just a brilliant director and really smart and uh, incredibly clever and here he's doing kind of an agatha christie thing where he's uh he has one central detective and a story that's happening that that detective is unraveling all around us uh basically the idea here is that Christopher Plummer plays the patriarch of a family who ends up dead the night of his birthday. It is uh, believed that he killed himself, but there are numerous reasons to believe that maybe he didn't. Uh, Anna Diarmis plays his uh, trusted nurse. Uh, She's a seeming innocent, who seems to know more than she lets on, but she can't lie. That's a really wonderful detail. Uh, Chris Evans is the black sheep of the family. Uh, you've got uh, Don Johnson and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis as the uh, oldest daughter and her husband. You've got uh, Michael Shannon as the oldest son. And he, the all of them have various reasons why, except for maybe Jamie Lee Curtis, all of them have reasons to, to want this guy, this old guy dead. And uh, really, I mean, we've seen this type of story before in the past. Other people have made this, like Agatha Christie probably made a movie quite like this. But what Ryan Johnson does is just give it a modern spin and give it some unique, colorful characters that are entirely his. And that especially comes in the form of Daniel Craig, who has never been better in a movie. I don't care about your James Bond stuff. This is so much more of an interesting character. Uh, this one, and I think his character and Logan Lucky are so much more interesting to me than anything else he's ever done. And it's something about that southern drawl that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that he does is just brilliant. And he is really fantastic in this movie as Benoit Blanc, a famous uh, southern detective who gets hired by an unknown person to come in and investigate the death of Christopher Plummer's character. And how we get him to there is where the mystery really centers. And that is really a smart way to play.
0: Yeah. I've, a few weeks ago, we briefly talked about this movie. And I said, I don't know how this movie is going to do something we haven't seen before. I don't know how this twist can work. And then he goes off and shows you the murder like halfway through.
1: <laughs>
0: and so you're like, okay. Well, I made Okay, what are they going to do? How, maybe he's going to try to just get her out of this, and you know, it, it just all of a sudden I stopped trying to figure it out and just watched. Yeah, and it was fun. Yeah, uh, all the way around, it it's a hell of a fun movie. I took my eight, seven, eight year old to go see it, and uh, he he likes he liked Murder on the Orange Express, uh, which is way less fun than this, but it's
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, it's more for adults, I guess. But uh, he. From the get go, he was trying. To, he was like, "The private eyes is a killer." I'm like, "Well, that's clearly not the answer." But <laughs> you're set, man, at least you're trying. And he kept yeah. he was guessing the whole time. And right? then uh, when they actually showed him show how he dies, he had uh, he didn't want to be in the theater for that, so he ran to the bathroom.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but it is uh, I It was really smart that the way that they change it from. You know they change the twist on you to something else, Uh, and that it just brings you back into the point where you can be an audience member and not have to play the guessing game and enjoy it for what it is. Because you know, ever since Sixth Sense, we're always trying to figure out what the twist is, and here he takes it away from you early on. And, I mean, I suppose you could keep trying to guess what happens, but you don't need to at that no. point. You just go along for the ride, and that's what's so great about this movie.
1: It's so colorful and so charismatic and all of the characters, including Anna Diarmas, have these wonderful touches to them and wonderful shades, and I especially enjoy her character. She's so much... She's so much fun. She's so in her over her head, and she never tries to not be in over her head. She's the least duplicitous character, and it's kind of the perfect character to put into this situation. When you when you really break it down, it's actually brilliant, uh, the way he, uh, he uses this character who can't lie.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was specifically... Yeah, the whole thing is just perfect. The casting. One... Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis looks like <laughs> his daughter. Yeah. Uh, Michael Shannon looks like he could be a son. Uh, Tony Collette's the perfect uh, daughter-in-law. <laughs> Everything about this, the cast is so spot-on. You know, even like Ricky Lindholm, is great. The little part that she has. Everybody is so right on the alt-right's grandson. <laughs> Just
1: yeah, perfection Stanfield
0: perfection casting.
1: Lakeith Stanfield playing it completely straight as the cop is just, yes. <laughs> just quietly brilliant.
0: I mean, obviously Chris Evans, you know, playing the douchebag uh, nails it. You know, it, it. I I was Don Johnson was phenomenal from Jump Street. As soon as they started introducing the cast, I was just like, oh my god, this is this is so, one they the kids look enough like. Uh, Christopher Plummer uh, it just everything was just so right on and I was just like this is really really good (laughs) and it never it never let up never let down Uh, this is gonna live on great on the streaming I think people are gonna like this movie
1: I could honestly, if you if you wanted to pitch me right now on a series of movies with Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc, I'm in. But if also you wanted to pitch me on the idea of him as an Academy Award nominee, I'm in. <laughs> like, it's that level of genius as a performance. It is so good and so intricate and so necessary to play this character this way. Uh even in his most oblivious moments, there's just a moment where he's sitting in the car listening to music and it's brilliant. Was such a phenomenal scene. <laughs> it's just so genius. I just loved it so much. Oh, it's so good.
0: Yeah, they keep moving forward and then you got to figure out how they got there. Yeah. And then they and it's it's just great. It really it's one of those movies that on a on certain years, ends up being nominated for an Oscar, or certain characters get nominated, or actors get nominated. Uh, it's, you know, I don't know. It's, I don't think it will this year. I mean, I, I doubt it, but I, it's not trying to. If it does, no, it did it organically. and
1: There's a certain spiritual emptiness to it. Like, it doesn't have any meaning to no. it. There's no deeper level to this. It's just a brilliant piece of storytelling.
0: Right. But I highly recommend... Uh, knives Out, just for pure fun. Uh, in terms of the, you know, the blockbusters, you know, Doctor Sleep, uh, Ford versus Ferrari, this is right there. I mean, Ford versus Ferrari is probably a better movie, but this is more watchable, more fun. I'm gonna go back and watch this one before I watch that one for sure. Uh, so, I don't know. It's my two cents. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event for the linear, legitimate. ...and universally recognized... ...undisputed... Yeah. ...classic! Death Trap.
1: Sidney <laughs> Lumet, uh, 1982, adapting a uh, Broadway play for the big screen with uh, uh, Michael Caine as a, uh, a Broadway uh, playwright whose uh, latest play is a complete disaster. It's going to, in in classically producer style, it's going to open and close on the same night. It's <laughs> that level of bad. Uh, he's... Uh, at the end of his rope, he's had four straight flops, and he's uh, headed back home to the Hamptons to lick his wounds and try and figure out what to do next. Uh, his wife, Diane Cannon, is there. She's uh, sort of been ill recently and uh, resting up. Uh, that's going to become important. Uh, Christopher Reeve uh, will enter the story as a young man who's written a play that and has sent that play to Michael Caine, and that play is called Death Trap. And in, in his desperation, he's read Death Trap and decided this is the greatest thing I've ever I've ever read. This is a surefire hit. If I put this on Broadway, it'll run forever and make millions of dollars. You know, this kid, he's, uh, he's in town, and he's telling me that he doesn't actually have any family. And you know, he says that there's only really one copy of this. So if I get him to come here and bring that one copy, and nobody's looking for him. I wonder if maybe I could kill him and make Death Trap mine. That's the first thirty minutes of this movie. And that is really that's really a lot of fun. Michael Caine is just uh, electric in those opening scenes. He's got so much charisma, and so much you—you uh, you, like you really buy into this guy's at a dangerous point. Like this guy, really, I, I love the way him and Diane Cannon are bouncing off of each other. She's genuinely scared that he's going to do this. He seems genuinely resigned to doing this. And then one that he eventually does is so <laughs> shocking that you just—it is really like you can't believe that anybody ever thought to do something like this.
0: Yeah, almost to the point where it's like, okay, this isn't believable, but I'm long for the ride now. <laughs> I mean, it's, it suffers from having to have seen Knives Out and then having to watch a movie like it in the yeah. same weekend. I, I, you know, if I watch this on my own on accident on like TV back in the 90s or whatever, I, this is fun. You know, it's similar to Knives Out. It's, it's, I don't, there's not a whole lot of depth. There's, I think I'm the only thing I would say different is at some point you could probably be like, well, okay. Yours kind of <laughs> – yeah. there's definitely a lot of conv- – I mean, they just – characters tend to just do this. To, I don't know. But it, it doesn't matter because it's fun. I don't for 1982,
1: sense. there's certainly a bold relationship between well, yeah. Christopher, Christopher Reeve, Superman at the time, and uh, Michael Caine. You don't see that coming for sure. Uh,
0: and we can't tell you because it does spoil right, everything.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, uh, But the one I think the thing that holds me back from thinking this is a a really brilliant film is the is the psychic character. There's a psychic character in the movie, and I wish that had been a better actress. Not that that lady's bad; she's fine. She's she's fine. I'm sure she's probably a Broadway actress, and uh, I just didn't find her particularly compelling as an actress in this milieu i wanted a bigger personality i wanted somebody i recognized and identify with and and was willing to go along with as opposed to this character who's just kind of she's just sort of there and she performs her function and she's so important to the end of the movie that i really wished there had been a better stronger presence there in terms of a of a movie star
0: right i guess what holds me back is like Every time something's about to happen, something else happens, and it's just super convenient to the point where one character knows the other character is going to act that way. So, it, and it and they're just constantly one up in each other. And it, it again, it's fun. It really is. I, it just isn't quite. It's not as. I mean, it's not as uh clever I guess is like what knives out is the way they kind of go out of order in that movie to an extent there's a little bit of an unreliable narrator at moments uh, that I think is that just really I think is perfect and here's more of a you're not gonna see this coming so I'm gonna go this direction and I well I appreciate that at the same time it's just like well yeah I mean anybody could swerve that much but after a while you got to bring it back home and when they bring it home it's just kind of like okay i mean again not disappointed it was fun but it was just
1: i kind of wanted this to become uh, like a like a broad comedy at certain points like at a certain point i wanted to see just the the two final characters just sort of continue one-upping each other to a more ridiculous degree like almost like a bugs buddy daffy duck like level of of escalation which i think would have been much more entertaining
0: I just don't know how you end that,
1: <laughs> but
0: I mean, they definitely start somebody going there. A on
1: like right. that.
0: <laughs> they definitely start heading that direction at one point, point. Uh, and it's like I said, it's fun. I classic, I don't know. I, I, I mean, if it's on TV, I mean, granted, TV is not what it was, but you know, I think of back to when you'd watch, you know, WGN or Fox or USA or whatever in, a, in the middle of the day. It's. It's the type of movie you wouldn't turn off, I guess, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, I, it's certainly, I mean, it's on the lower end of the Sydney uh, Lumet scale of, of movies. He's made so but again, many other. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm not saying a lot because yeah. <laughs> he's one of the best. Uh, 1989, there's some memorable movies or important movies, if you will, whether you like them or not, it's beside the point. But uh, Back to the Future 2.
1: Back to the Future Two, uh, yeah, it's hard to believe that we're already to Back to the Future Two for some reason. I don't know. Uh, this uh, occurs the follow up uh, to the original, which has Marty going to the future this time, not back to it. He's just going to the actual future, <laughs> 2015, uh, where he's going to try and stop his son from uh, participating in a robbery and ruining the ruining the family. But that itself will also have Consequences when he decides that uh, uh, he's going to buy a
0: sports almanac,
1: almanac, and that'll end up back in time in the hands of Biff, and uh, Biff will then take that to 1989, where he's created a future for himself that he's essentially Donald Trump. (laughs) He's splashed his name across everything. George is dead. He's married Marty's mom. It's a whole horror show of things that have taken place uh, because of this, and Marty and Doc uh, and Doc have to uh, set that right. And uh, you know, I, I find this movie incredibly entertaining. Uh, not nearly as good as the original, obviously, but uh, certainly with a bigger, broader style to it than the first film.
0: I'm not positive I had ever seen it. I know I remember the Almanac part, and I remember renting it, but I don't know if I just got up and left after the Almanac scene. <laughs> And never went back, but I, I kind of felt like I was watching it for the first time. Like I did. I mean, the only reason I even knew they predicted the Cubs to win the World Series because everybody talked about it back in 2015 when they almost did. Uh, and same thing with the hoverboard thing. Otherwise, I have no memory of this movie, and it's it's fine. I guess I don't. I have no nostalgia to bring to it. I just I don't know. It's it is what it is.
1: I find the reputation of Back to the Future. Uh, as a franchise, to be sort of outsized and exaggerated, I guess. Not to knock it, I do. I'm a fan. I like it. I don't think it's an unassailable classic, even the original. <laughs> I don't think. I, I don't think any. Certainly, number three is not an unassailable. I like three classic. better than two. I like two better than three, but I don't think either but, one of them is.
0: And I think one's so far superior than two, two and three that. But like you said, it's not. I mean, I don't know. It's. I think There's a lot, lot of nostalgia. Of it, yes,
1: the nostalgia goggles are on for most people with this one. This is not some unassailable classic that belongs in the Criterion collection. It's a it's a solid, fun, happy movie. It's a. I
0: mean, at uh, least the first one has enough memorable parts that you at least it has that you know scenes that you remember. You can kind of quote whatnot. That's. What I think, you know, that Goonies, all these movies kind of at that echelon that why, I don't know how they come classics, but they've become classics to the, that generation, our generation. But to me, this one's, I don't know. It's
1: People who distant. examine Back to the Future as if it were, you know, French films of the 1960s. I just, I don't understand you. You're, you're in a completely different place for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, Robert Zemeckis knocked it out of the park with the first movie ever made and used cars. And <laughs> it's been downhill since then, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> My <laughs> nice single own opinion.
1: I wonder what this what the reputation of Back to the Future will be, you know, sixty years after it's made, because people are going to remember it. What like it, like this was the Casablanca of its day. Like, what are you talking about? No,
0: well, it was hard to watch, 2 with my son because it's twenty nineteen. Yeah, so the future is two thousand fifteen. We're nowhere near what they have in this movie, and so he's trying. I mean, he really was trying to wrap his head around what the hell was going on, and. That alone hurts this one, I think. But, yeah. again, it's fun enough. I just...
1: Do you think maybe the the franchise has the reputation that it has because the 80s sucked so much? <laughs>
0: <laughs> to me, it's still just one good movie and then two other movies yeah. that are fine. And so it shouldn't even be called a franchise. It's only a franchise because three movies exist. But it's really all based on the strength of that first one, which, again, is held up by... You know, kind of some fun cornball scenes and nostalgia. So yeah, I I don't think it's a great franchise by any means. But <laughs> uh, I mean, I like three because it's a western. But again, it, it's a distant, distant uh to the first one. Uh, speech of classics.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so National Lampoon's
0: you. Christmas Vacation.
1: Oh fuck this movie. Uh <laughs> I just don't. I don't. I don't care for this at all. Uh, I don't know if I've told the have I told the story of the podcast about me and this movie.
0: I don't know. I know you don't like it, and you've mentioned that
1: Anytime time it comes out. Yeah,
0: but I'm not sure you've ever explained why, other than
1: I. I mean, I've seen it a few times over the years, but it was like five years ago. I was working for a radio station that uh, put on a screening of this movie, and I was hosting it and uh sold it out uh it was, you know hugely popular and i'm there and i'm sitting with this crowd of people this entire full theater and it's, people I ruin shit they're <laughs> laughing at everything and i'm like this is amusing or whatever and then we get to the scene with uh, cousin eddie and uh the the shitter's full and i just like nope i'm done bye got up and left the host of the movie got up and walked out. Now I made it seem, you know, like as being discreet and walking out, like maybe he's just going to the bathroom. But I did not go back uh, <laughs> because I was just, I was done. I saw enough shit, and I'm like, that's good for me. Bye, everybody. I'm out. So disgusting. I can't. I hate the cousin Eddie character so much. I I I, I loathe this character. It is a. Uh, is a, a bane of my existence level character like Happy Gilmore or or <laughs> Bob, Billy Madison? That's where these characters rank for me.
0: Yeah, and I don't, I don't agree. Obviously, I mean, but I will say, I, I, on my way into work this morning, there's. I'm driving through construction, and they have this big sign where it says Twitter is full. Stay off your phones. I'm like, why the fuck would you (laughs) put that up there? Because all you're doing is having people grab their phones to take a picture (laughs) of the fucking sign you have up there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, you saw that as well. I did see that. Uh, But, uh, I mean, similar to Back to the Future, what makes us a classic or what holds up, one is nostalgia, but two is quotable lines and memorable scenes i mean love it or hate it shitter's full is repeated probably too much
1: yeah i would say (laughs) i would say way too much
0: uh i don't know that i could see not i could see being annoyed watching this in the theater but i don't mind watching it alone or not alone but like with my family at home or whatever i don't I, i don't hate I, I mean, I don't hate the Happy Gilmore character, the Billy Madison character, or even the Cousin Eddie character, because, I mean, there are idiots in this world, and <laughs> I'm related to some of them, so I'm I'm not saying Cousin Eddie's in my family, but not far from it. I mean, I have friends out in the Galesburg area, and just never know. Or not friends, cousins. My friends out by Galesburg are cool, Michael, it's Corey. It's, but I have family out there that could <laughs> definitely... Uh, you know, I have an uncle that could easily be cousin Eddie. Uh so I I at least have something to tie it to. Uh it's definitely exaggerated. Uh but I don't know. It's I
1: think there is also like there's also this 80s sort of fatigue for me for characters who are these put-upon office drones like Clark becomes in this movie. He's you know He's got the boss who treats him like crap. Uh, was it the Cheese of the Month Club or something? Right. Like, yeah, he's just constantly just shitting all over him throughout the entire movie. And that became this trope character that was out throughout the 80s and early 90s. And I'm just... I'm over it. I don't need to see that character ever again. And I'm, I lumped them all together into, into one trope.
0: Well, an office space kind of ruins all that because they – Because it's
1: so much smarter.
0: Well, because what they did is they're like, you work with this guy. And you work <laughs> with that guy. And you work with that guy. You even work with Milton. And uh, so that just kind of it becomes the, the bar the, and everything else falls – Far inferior (laughs) to that.
1: Even that's got a better version of the Cousin Eddie character in that movie than is in this movie. I'll tell you. You like that guy, exactly. (laughs) You're
0: not supposed to like Cousin Eddie. I mean,
1: you're not because everybody just seems to love him.
0: That's true, but I mean, you're supposed to be. (laughs) What
1: I really hate are the people who go, "Yeah, Cousin Eddie, that's me. Get away from me." Get go get get away from me.
0: <laughs> God, I haven't heard that one yet.
1: <laughs> oh, I did.
0: But I mean, and that's the other thing is like again, office space is a great example of you know, no one does lights like that. You know, where it just looks like shit, it's all, they just here you might as well use those projectors, you put so many lights up. Uh so no one you can like you can relate to the fact that, you know, one bulb goes out and it fucks up everything and it's frustrating, but not like you can to something like Office Space. They made it completely relatable. This one, they go, and it's very cartoony and an eighties oh, cartoony on top of that.
1: Well The Simpsons did it better. <laughs> they did everything better though.
0: <laughs> I mean, the like, Simpsons did Cape Fear better. <laughs> That's true. The Daniel good, did Goodfellas as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. It's I, I like the movie, but I'm I'm not by any means. I'll, if I have to watch a Christmas movie every year, it's Scrooged. I mean, that's the one I go to over and over again. My kids have recently discovered Home Alone. And so that one's been a little overplayed in my house this year.
1: I really... There, there's not a... I mean, maybe Scrooged, but there really isn't a, a Christmas movie that I love. I don't really like any any of the Christmas movies, <laughs> honestly. I mean, Last Christmas is kind of wonderful. It's less of a Christmas movie and more of a... Uh, a romance and a comedy than it is specifically. It's got Christmas in the title and it happens around Christmas, but that's pretty
0: much. Well, because so many Christmas movies require that point where, and which I know you've mentioned this before, with something like Surviving Christmas, is, of just being, uh, I don't know if hateful is the word that you use, but. Uh, just the negativity that goes along with the way they, but they need that in order to have a conflict with Chris, Christmas, and it seems like that just pulls you out of the movie. It
1: does, <laughs> unless Bill Murray is the one. <laughs> it. Uh, even like even a, It's a Wonderful Life, I know is great. I can't I believe guess. we have
0: yet to talk about that movie on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's unlike every Jimmy Stewart movie. <laughs> Except for the one he's most known for, the I, only one I had seen prior to coming to this podcast.
1: <laughs> it is also rather cloying, really. If you get down to it, but nevertheless, I'm not supposed to say that. We're not allowed. I'm not allowed to say to assail that movie. I know. No, I, I, I guess the best Christmas movie is Love Actually for me, which is not even again. It's a, it's a Christmas. It's not a Christmas movie. It's a movie that happens around Christmas. Right. And I think that, to me, is maybe the best approach to to approaching Christmas for me.
0: That's fair enough. Uh, That is our show next week. It's a very weak theatrical week, so uh, Netflix is going to help us out and bring that Marriage Story movie to us. Uh, We're also going to talk about The Report.
1: Yes, it's a full Adam Driver week, so uh, definitely put him in all the metadata. (laughs) Because people go crazy for Adam Driver.
0: (laughs) Uh, portrait of a lady the title. <laughs> Go full Adam Driver.
1: <laughs> we'll have an Adam Driver t shirt. and we be
0: <laughs> And it's <this> confusingly something <laughs> penis.
1: It's confusingly shaped head. <laughs> <laughs> you can't unsee it now.
0: It's true. Portrait of a lady on fire. And uh we'll also see what else is coming out, uh independent wise, so there may be more to add. Uh
1: We're not going to talk about Playmobil. I'm sorry. I know people are anticipating. (laughs) I
0: know what the fuck that is. Uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf will be the classic. And in 1989, She Devil will be Roseanne to the podcast. We'll probably definitely both watch that movie. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Triumph of the Spirit or Expert or something I wrote really sloppy there. And then The War of the Roses. Uh, That'll be a fun one to revisit. Uh, provided it's available. Uh, but that is our show. I do want to thank our Patreon supporters for helping out the podcast. If you want to help out the podcast and get a credit on the show, I hate critics.net slash Patreon. is the best way to help support the podcast. We really could use your help to help grow the show. Uh, these shirts are they are not cheap. We got to make them and design them, and that's that costs money. Uh, we want to do more things. We want to get out to shows and stuff. And, uh, we appreciate the help we've got, but if you really want to help us grow, that's the best way to do it. I want to think. Go oh, ahead. Oh no!
1: Just oh, a yeah. just a buck a month can make a big difference.
0: Yeah, uh, our key our key grip level is uh, G- Charlie Messing and uh, Jason Bryant. Our character actor level is Josh and Beth Paul, cousin Jeff, and Christina Cato. Our craft service level is our uh, often co-hosts at Cove Maker, and our special effects level, Corey Finneran and Sam Morrell. So again, I hate critics. Slash Patreon to help support the podcast, and there is the podcast merch tab uh, at that website as well. Uh, we're hopefully we can have some cool shirts coming up. And if you like our logo, there's shirts with that. We got the everyone's a critic. Uh, I and I hate critics shirt and the Lord of the Fitbit, which I need to bust back out again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else? before we go to flickchart, No, nothing really. All right, well, let me sign in. And normally I'm already signed in before we go. Vertical Limit, Dog Day Afternoon.
1: Dog Day Afternoon.
0: That was an easy one. The Karate Kid Part 2, Children of Men.
1: I guess I'll give you a Children of Men on that one.
0: Thank you, because I don't like Karate Kid 2.
1: Not a big fan either.
0: De Niro's Frankenstein or Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? (laughs) Eternal Sunshine. you sure? (laughs) Do you like De Niro's Frankenstein or neither here nor there? I barely remember it. Yeah. Texas Chancel Massacre or Deliverance? The original? 2003.
1: (laughs) It's Deliverance.
0: Never seen Deliverance. Really? Really. Oh, wow. The Meg, Ghost. Ghost. I agree. Uh, Van Helsing, About Schmidt. About Schmidt. Agreed. Cold Mountain Tommy Boy. Cold Mountain. I will agree, too. My dad was like quoting Tommy Boy to me, and I'm like, I've seen that maybe one time. I don't have the... I mean, I don't dislike it. I just don't remember it. <laughs> Uh, I feel bad about that for all the listeners but I just don't have those nostalgia movies I mean other than Rocky IV, Uh I just don't I didn't grow up with it like everybody else did and I feel bad about that
1: I wonder if people would remember Tommy Boy if Chris Farley were still alive
0: I think they would they remember the Sandler movies and I, I mean it's on I, 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 I think you would say it's better than those Happy Gilmore Billy Madison or maybe not maybe on the same level
1: yeah, yeah I would. Prefer, I would rather watch that than anything that Sandler did
0: Envy which is just going to
1: be ironic in a couple of weeks.
0: Envy, the dog day, the day after tomorrow, the dog day after tomorrow. <laughs> I want to see that movie. Do you uh, remember Envy, Ben Stiller, Jack Black?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm going to pick that for the movie it should have been as opposed to that awful day after tomorrow yeah, which I, I hate. I don't
0: know what you could have done to make that one better.
1: There's a lot of the the original idea for Envy was really good.
0: Yeah. Friday the 13th Judge Dread
1: original Friday the 13th
0: original Friday the 13th original Judge Dread
1: <laughs> <laughs> Friday the 13th
0: yeah I do have a nostalgia for that one Police Academy uh, Metal Headbangers I don't never heard of it so. what the fuck why were there TV shows in here
1: Ugh. flick chart come on you're better than that
0: Police Academy the Sound of Music Sound of Music I'll give you that one the fifth element, Flight of the Navigator. Fifth element. Greed. Robocop the Rainmaker. Rainmaker. It's the first move my wife and I ever went on a date to. Oh yeah, wow, that's cool. And then we didn't date for like six months after that. <laughs> and then got back together for Armageddon. <laughs> and that Aerosmith song has haunted me for the rest of my <laughs> life.
1: Oh God, was it was that at your wedding?
0: No. <laughs> They everybody wanted because that's my favorite band. Right, I happened to start dating my wife the year that song comes out, and I said that's the one I I want. I wanted a band. Yeah, my sister made a slideshow to it, so I was like, okay, fine. But I, there's not gonna be the song we dance to, and (laughs) so instead I was like, almost famous, tiny dancer, and I'm like, this song's 15 minutes long. What the (laughs) fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because I love attention. Uh, but yeah so that song has haunted me and they won't stop playing it live either it's like come on you got a bunch of old songs
1: if, you, if you'd known me I could have given you the radio edit of Tiny Dancer and you'd have been fine
0: <laughs> could have just played the movie scene <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole other section in there that I didn't even know existed the first time I <laughs> heard this song uh, The Love Guru Ocean's Twelve Ocean's 12.
1: Yeah, Love Guru is brutal.
0: Yeah, The Prestige, Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs. Create League of Their Own, Die Hard 2.
1: Ooh, that's tough. I really have a soft spot for Die Hard 2.
0: It's a League of Their Own for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess so, yeah.
0: I mean, I like Die Hard 2, but I just really like League of Their Own. Rango, Minority Report.
1: That is hard. Rango is a really great movie.
0: It's basically Django. <laughs> like the original Django.
1: Uh, but oh god, I don't know where to go with that one. That is hard. Um you wanna flip it? Yeah, yeah. Don't make me make the decision. I haven't
0: actually I haven't seen Minority Report in so long, and I feel like I need to rewatch it to truly have a good opinion of it. Minority Report wins. Alright. At some point, we need to bring that to the podcast. (laughs) We've been saying that for years. Eagle Eye, Road to Perdition.
1: It's Road to Perdition for me.
0: I guess. It's one of those Tom Hanks movies where I only see Tom Hanks. (laughs) Small Soldiers, Burn After Reading.
1: Burn After Reading.
0: Greed. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Aliens. Aliens. Yep, blue velvet breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs>
1: uh, I think blue velvet is less racist, so I'll go with that one.
0: More misogynist. <laughs> Wasn't that uh, Ebert's big complaint about it? <laughs> Could be how yeah. it's bad it's, they treated it's Rosabella. a shitty as choice, lean. either way. <laughs> Flight, I'll go. With, I'll go with black people over women. <laughs> <laughs> or no, that's not what the problem with. What was was it Asians?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was the this one of the single worst Asian stereotypes in the history.
0: Flight plan falling down.
1: Ooh. Ooh. I think uh falling down because I've got that wonderful theory about how it comes about.
0: <laughs> God, I remember liking that movie at one point and then time has just not been kind to of me. No, it all. really hasn't. <laughs> like I remember being like yeah, burgers don't look like that. <laughs> you should. <laughs> and now it's just like, well, duh. Of <laughs> course I don't. <laughs> it really wasn't saying what I was thinking. <laughs> paranormal, paranormal activity or a goofy movie. <laughs>